0: In a while uh, here at this church, you're going to be in Galatians chapter 4 this morning. Galatians chapter 4. Uh, as you're turning there, that old uh, acrostic, if you uh, appreciate those things, Galatians chapter 4, God's electric power company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and you will find it. Galatians chapter 4. Also, while we are uh, going and turning there, I want to thank Ben, uh, who's Ben is up in Michigan right now with his family. Uh, our intern Ben, who preached two weeks ago, and uh, Pastor Nelson who preached last week so we could spend some time with Natalie's family in Oklahoma. And uh, we appreciate that that time to get away. Also, next Sunday, so uh, we've had a few questions about this. we We think we know our church well enough. That you all go to bed by like 8.30 or 9 o'clock, at least most of you. Uh, so we anticipate, we are planning on having a regular Sunday next Sunday. Uh, so 9 o'clock Sunday school and 10.30 worship. We're not going to change that. If you stay up to midnight and want to join us, please do. Come on down. Uh, but we'll be back in Hebrews next week as we uh, continue through Hebrews chapter 11. But we thought it appropriate today to read through one of the passages that is mentions the birth of Christ. And one that's deep within a book. And this book of Galatians was written by Paul, probably his first book written that we know of. And he wrote this probably in the early 50s. And he wrote it to a church that at one time had embraced the gospel, but now was starting to get away from it. That doesn't sound like today at all, does it? Because no church ever does that, right? We never get distracted by other things in this world. We're always just on point, aren't we? Not quite. There's always a distraction. But their distraction was not just dangly things. Their distraction was an eternal significance. Do we believe that Jesus saves us by himself, or is there something else, i.e. keeping the Jewish law that we have to do to be saved? And so for three chapters, he labors with them. He even tells them in chapter one, if an angel comes to you and preaches you a different gospel, let him be anathema. That's a, that's a fancy word that you don't throw around. You might throw it around to the Raiders or your, your hated sports team every now and then, but it literally means let him be cast away forever. And the point being is that Paul told these people, if Jesus Christ is not enough for you, then everything you believe is in vain. And that's why he guarded it so closely. And what he's going to tell them is that if you believe in Christ, you're believing in the promises that was given to Abraham. You believed in the promises that was given through the prophets. And so this morning, I want you to find your way to chapter 4. If you're able to stand, will you join me? We're going to read starting in verse 1 down to verse 7, though we're preaching verses 4 and 5. And Paul has been laboring this point, and he wants them to know this is not just a fairy tale. It is not just a wives' tale or a a, a great story, a legend, that Christ really came, that he really died, that he really was born, and that he really is enough. And if you're here today and you're trusting when you die in this world that you go out to the next, that it's Jesus plus fill-in-the-blank that will get you to heaven, perhaps this message is especially for you, but if you're a Christian here today, I want you to be reminded of the gospel that you have. And this is what he says, starting in verse 1. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also, we, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Thank God for the butts of the Bible. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, capital S, into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, you are an heir of God. And ladies, please know here that this is not exclude. This is not just a male religion. Of course, you know that Jesus died for male and female, slave or free, Scythian, Jew, Gentile, you name it. He actually mentions that in chapter 3, verse 27, as he goes up there. But I want you to know that this morning, the reason he came was to save one type of people. Do you know who that type of people is? It's sinners. That's why he came, is to die for sinners. This morning, the how... The when and the why Jesus came, we'll look at. Let's pray together, and we'll get started, okay? Lord, thank you so much, for again, for the opportunity to preach, to know the word, to be here, and to know the truth of the gospel. Father, if everything is as the Bible says it is, and it is true, then, Lord, this world is just a passing thing for us, but it's a reminder to us that they want this world wants to take us away from the simple, undiluted gospel message. So this morning, Lord, we do look to the manger. But we are also looking to the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and the coming again. We love you, Lord. Bless our time. Move me out of the way. Speak through me, Lord, not because I'm anyone worthy to be spoken through, but for your people here today and all those who may be joining us online, we pray, we ask in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Well, why Jesus came? You know, last week we did, and I appreciate Pastor Nelson's message on Matthew 2. We talked about, and uh, he talked through what it was that if you were in those days, what it would have been like to be in that opportunity as seeing Herod and the wise men and all those things, the Magi. But what we know is that as we look through this, why Jesus came, so many people, if you ask them, why did Jesus come? They will tell you it was for politics. They will tell you it was to be a good example. They will tell you all sorts of things. But the reality is, even today, if you ask the random person on the street, why did Jesus come, you're still going to get a thousand different answers. And if you don't believe me, go down to Westport, go to Plaza, go to Zona Rosa, wherever, and ask the question, why did Jesus come? Some will tell you it was to be a good example for us because we needed someone to show us the way. Some will say it was perhaps just to be a good teacher because to be a good teacher is to teach the right things, to be a good moral person. But as Christians, we don't stop there, do we? Jesus was an example for us. Amen? Amen. He was a teacher for us. But more than that, he came for one purpose, and that was to give his life for us. And so when did Jesus come? How did Jesus come? And why did Jesus come? That's what we're wanting to answer today. The big idea is simply this, is simply that we have one truth, is that Jesus came to save and redeem only one type of person, and that is sinners. That's why he came. Why do we need to hijack Jesus in a thousand different ways? I don't know, but that is why he came. And whether you realize it or not, this New Testament passage we are in is going to answer those questions. And so today, I pray as you read this, as you see this, that you're encouraged by it. I want you to see that first one, when Jesus came, when Jesus came. You notice there in verse four, and if you're taking notes, those should be up on the screen as well. When you're taking, as you're going through this, notice verse 4, you see on your notes, but when the fullness of time had come. Why did Jesus come? When did he come? Well, first he uses that word time. That is, there's, there's various forms of time in the New Testament. There's, there's time like we think of on a watch. There's time that happens once in time, and there's all time. This was when the fullness of time had come. The fullness of time. That is, from God the Father's sovereignly ordained time there would be a set time when Jesus would come. We know humanly that was somewhere in the neighborhood between roughly 1 to 5 BC, depending on how you date it. Luke 2.2 tells us that this was the time that Jesus came when there was a census, a, a, a gathering of all the people to count the heads under Quirinius, the governor of the time. But as Paul talks about time, he's looking at it not from man's perspective. He's looking at it as he should from God's perspective. He identifies it as a fullness of time. The fullness here refers to a filling up or making something complete. It's it's, it's like when the timer goes off on your oven and you get to pull out whatever is complete because it's, it's cooked to perfection. It means a particular period has passed and a new one has started. And there's an hour of history now where Jesus is coming, that the Son has been commissioned, he's been sent forth from heaven to go on his mission. It was the fullness of time. But with that fullness of time also comes the rightness of time. God was setting the stage of human history to be just right for Jesus to come. And you see those up on the screen. I want to go through those with you about why this perhaps was the most The best time for him to come. You know, it's crazy because I'm going to go through these and you're going to see perhaps why these fit. But you also need to know it was one of the most chaotic times. The Roman Empire, for all the good things that it had, also was one of the most wicked nations around, even in those days. But the father was pulling back the tapestry of the threads of the moment for his son to come. And these were the sovereign factors that led to the coming of the plan. First, politically. The Roman Empire was at the height of its power. It was it had good roads. It had relatively a fair system of government for the time. But most important, it had peace. Many of you history buffs may remember that great phrase, Pax Romana, which means the 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 the, the peace of Rome. They wanted to create an atmosphere where you could travel on a road and not get killed. That's a good thing, isn't it? But for the first time in history, people could relatively travel from Europe all the way to Asia without much trouble except for some vagabonds along the way. And you see, it was God using the sovereign hand of a Roman nation politically to set up the highways and byways of which the gospel would be spread by the coming of Christ. There was also the cultural coming. Now, it sounds funny because how would the culture make any difference about Christ's coming? But in God's sovereign plan, this culture was becoming one. The languages were becoming one. The Latin and Greek that was spoken of when Alexander the Great took over the known world at the time was now becoming commonplace. Yeah, sure, there were dialects. You know, in some parts of of the U.S., we say y'all. In southern Missouri, they say you-ins. And some places, they just say you guys. You know what you mean. But in those days, there was one common language that people spoke. And even the Jewish nation was adopting this. We know, and you have this in your New Testament, the Koine Greek, the Greek, the common spoken language of the day. There was no need for people to translate from one language to another for the most part because there was one common language. God provided the political system through the wicked Roman Empire. He provided the language. But finally, he also provided the spiritual climate to which Christ was about to come in. You ever walked in a room before? And you could feel how tense the air was. You ever been there before? Maybe it's a meeting at work. Maybe it's your family gatherings at Christmas. I don't know. But you know, they say that old phrase you could cut the atmosphere with a knife, and and you could just feel the air come out of it. Well, spiritually, the world was diverse, but it was open. The old gods of Greek and Rome were starting to fall, and they were now worshiping the emperor, Caesar himself. Even among the Jews, there was a a Ferris wheel of revival happening. John the Baptist was preaching. There were more demon-possessed people coming up all over the place. And through the ministry of John the Baptist especially, people were starting to get a new, renewed interest in the scriptures. They wanted to know what it was that God was saying. And Jesus was stepping into a culture and into a time where everything spiritual was just heightened. It was at the greatest time. And so Christ stepped in at the fullness of time. When did he come? He came during the fullness of time, at the right time. Christian, I don't want to lose you in the process of this. And it is that God is a God of perfect timing. And this will be part of your notes as well. God is a God of perfect timing. He's a God of history. He's a God that whose timing is perfect, yes, even for us today. If you're here today, God has set the stage of your life he has put the boundaries, Acts 17, to where you are to to, to inhabit yourself. As God prepared the culture then, the the government then, and the spiritual climate then, so too he has put in your life everything to bring you to a place to where you are. You ever wondered how God put you and you ended up at Tower View Baptist Church for most of you? Now, I know how you got here. Some of you was an invite. Some of you, it's just you've grown up here. Literally, you've been like Uh, cradle to to whatever you are. Some of you just randomly showed up and we accepted you in. Uh, You know, whatever your case is, we're glad you're here. But God knows exactly the timing of your life. And it's not just simply about the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of us who know Christ personally, God has a schedule for us. He's prepared a life for you. I mean, do you know that God ordained, that when God ordained that you would be born, it was not just when Jesus was born. He ordained the days of your life. He ordained everything about your life. You remember Ecclesiastes 3. Don't let the 60s rock music steal this, this great passage of Scripture away, but you know this phrase well. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8. For everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. Time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to gather, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. That has COVID written all over it, right? A time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Ecclesiastes. When did Jesus come? When the fullness of time had been. And it makes me think about the second coming of our Lord. When is he coming again? When the fullness of time has been complete. Christian, you have the greatest joy this Christmas, not just because he was born and he died for you. That should be. But also you get the bow, as it were, on all of this when he comes back and takes you up to heaven. And maybe you die before, then I don't know. You tell me when he's coming. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know he's coming. Amen? And that's what we know to be true. When is it going to happen? When he's ready, when the fullness of time. But be careful. Don't be like the Pharisees and all those of, of Jesus' day, trying to pin the date and the time on the exact location and place and, and circumstances when Jesus comes. He gave us general signs, not specific names. So be careful, be careful, be careful. Just thank him that he's coming and be about his business until he does. So when he came, but how did Jesus come? Look at verse 4. He says that Jesus came in the fullness of time, but pick up the end of verse 4 there. He says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and we'll stop right there for a moment. How Jesus came. He came in two ways. The first way that Jesus came is that he's fully divine. He's fully divine. What we mean by this is that when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son. Who was it? Who came? It was the divine son of God. It was God sent forth his son. You know that Jesus, the co-equal, co-eternal, co-powerful, not the underneath God. You know, the early church struggled with that. and Some Christians do today. What do we do with Jesus? Is he, is he fully God? Is he not God? Is he partly God? Is he mostly God? Yeah, he's 100% fully God. <laughs> anything less than that, and we lose what it is that he came to do. Jesus did not commission himself. Notice here that God the Father is the initiator of all this. God the Father is not higher than the Son or the Spirit, but in his role, even the Godhead, the Son, is submissive to the Father in his earthly ministry, and he comes in obedience. Let me give you some scriptures you know well. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, what church? Christ died for us. He was sent forth. He was sent out. He was died for us in an official capacity. So God the Father, in commissioning his son, sent him to represent the Lord, the Trinity, the Godhead upon the earth and to carry out the Father's will. Go read the book of John. Jesus always says, I'm here to do my Father's business. I mean, how many times did he say that? He said it so many times that the book of John is full of it. Jesus came forth as a son. God sent forth his son. Christian today, you need to realize that the deity of Jesus Christ is always under attack. What makes a person a non-Christian? Uh, one of our sisters and I, we were talking about uh, uh, some, some things in the Christian life. We were talking about what's primary and what's not. Look, we can disagree on other things that are in church life. Uh, do you worship on a Sunday or a Saturday? Do you worship on. You know, there's different things you can debate as Christians. There are good people on each side. But one thing we can never sacrifice is that Jesus is actually God. If you lose that, you have lost everything he came to do. Jesus is not just some um, image of God. He's not, well, he is the image of God. He's not just some Casper the Ghost God. He's not just partly God. He is God. Isaiah 9, 6, for a son will be born to us, a child will be born. The son will be given and his name will be called Mighty God. Can I just submit to you that if you deny that Jesus is anything less than God himself, you have entered into blasphemous territory. But not only is he divine and has been since all of time, but he is also fully human. Before I unpack that, I want to just say something that I have always had stuck in my head. One of my old college friends from long ago in our first couple months in, 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 at Billy Jewell Bible School up at, at William Jewell. That's what we used to call it. Um, it's not a Bible school and it's not God-centered, but that's another thing. She used to say, I just don't get it. How can he be fully God and fully man? Is that like that conditioner and shampoo, you know, that two-in-one mix where you kind of do that sort of thing? I shared with our Sunday school class a couple weeks ago. I'm the three-in-one guy. I like the the body wash, the shampoo. If you're just going to put it in there, just put it all in, right? It's not quite how this works with Jesus. He is fully God. He's fully man. His godness, his his deity, is separate from his humanity. Yet they are one. You got that figured out yet? church there are some mysteries of the christian faith it is okay to say i know what the bible says and i absolutely believe it but you asked me to explain it i just don't know we're going to unpack why he had to come as a human but i want you to know this is a great mystery as is the trinity it's okay to have mysteries in your faith you don't have to have everything spelled out and don't let the critics tell you that that's a lack of faith or a lack of true belief Look, you don't understand everything in your own life at times, yet you continue to put one foot in front of the other, don't you? So too, in a very simplistic view, you may not get it all, but this is what God's word has said. He goes on to say, for this God says he was born of a woman. He's born under the law. Notice that double emphasis there. He's born and born. He's born. You see there is emphasis. The one whom God sent was born. He was born of a woman under the law. Jesus is a fully man when he was born. He wasn't some alien from Sigourney Weaver, bad 80s movies days. He wasn't some thing that pops out of some person. He was a real man. He had to be. A body that could be seen and handled. A body that cried. A body that dirtied diapers as a young Jesus baby. You don't think about these things, but it's true. Hebrews 10.5 says, Jesus says, a body you've prepared for me. And Jesus says that to his father. A body you have prepared to me. Luke 2.52, the Bible says Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in the favor of God and with man. Jesus grew intellectually. Jesus grew socially. He grew, and this may sound funny to you, he even grew spiritually. Not that he had anything to learn as God, but as a man, he had to learn these things. Hebrews 5.8, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Hebrews 2.17, he had to be made like his brothers. And in all things, Jesus was born of a woman, was made in all things, except he was without sin. Look, Jesus had to eat. Jesus had to drink. But in the early church, they almost thought he was a ghost because how could God come down to us? But Hebrews 4.15 tells us we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect who was tempted yet without sin. He had to be human because God cannot die. God on that cross, who died on the cross? Well, Jesus did. Well, which part of Jesus died? The humanity of Jesus died, because God, the divine, can never die. And if Jesus is to stand in my place, then Jesus cannot merely be God. He had to be fully human so he could die in my place on that cross. Well, why couldn't he just send an angel? Because an angel is not God. They're created like you and me, even though they are higher than us, spiritually speaking. He was born of a virgin, born of a woman, and notice that phrase there, under the law. Who was the great lawgiver? Jesus. Who was the great lawmaker? Jesus. Who was the great judge who stands above all judges before the law? Did you get the theme here? Jesus. Jesus stood under the law. Matthew 5 tells us that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus perfectly lived out what we could never do. But do you remember, some of you, this goes back years ago. It's always been out there, but it was popularized by Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code. Do you remember this book many years ago? I think Tom Hanks made a movie about it, and there was supposedly this secret plot like Indiana Jones style, that Jesus married Mary Magdalene and that he sinned and had kids and, and that, that, that the, 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 the line of popes actually wasn't through Peter, but it was actually through the sons of Jesus. I mean, just crazy stuff. It's, it's fiction. And Dan Brown got a lot of kickback for this because they thought that he was uh, perpetuating some false religion. And Dan Brown just said, no, I'm just an author, guys. I'm making up a story. False as it is, we would say, but a story. But look, our Savior has never sinned. He is a sinless Savior. He's never sinned. And there are some who believe that when Jesus was tempted, he had the ability to sin. But our Savior, to use a big word, is impeccable. There's nothing he can do. He, he was tempted, but he would never sin. And because of that obedience, that act of obedience, being human, Jesus had to be made to be born of a woman to keep the law perfectly because you and I could not keep it perfectly here on this earth. Jesus didn't just come as your example He came to be your substitute, your sacrifice, and your savior. He came not just to show you how to live your life, but to give you life through his life. That's how he did it. Fully God, fully man, fully divine, fully human. And so now when you believe upon this God, God takes his perfect obedience and credits it to your account. When God looks into the records of the day, he comes and looks, and if you believed upon the Lord Jesus, your record is as perfect as Jesus' is because you are covered in his righteousness. This is how Jesus came. He was born of a woman, actually born of a woman. He was born under the law. He had to fulfill its requirements, and yet he was sent forth by God to be our Savior. He is the substitute, the sacrifice, and the Savior. Look, if you're here today, I think we're among people we know, but if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this is the perfect day perhaps to do it. There's no better day to know how Jesus came and when he came than to know he came because he gave his life for you because he loves you. He came because we are such sinners that nothing could take us back to God except God himself dying in our place. What a great God that he is. So there's the when, there's the how, and finally, why Jesus came. You got your Bible open still? You're you're scrolling uh, or whatever you got? Got it imprinted on your hand? Chapter 4, verse 5. We'll close with this. Why did he come? He came to redeem those, verse 5, who were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. We might receive adoptions as sons. This is not in your notes. I added it later, but there are two phrases we are going to work through. The first is redemption. The second is adoption. First is redemption, the second is adoption. It is on the screen, not in your notes. He tells you these two reasons that he came. First is redemption. Do they still? Does anyone here still use paper coupons? Is that a thing still? I don't think somebody, our pastor Brian in the back. Brian, you are an old soul, brother. Bless you. Love you. But paper coupons, most coupons today, if you have a coupon, you use one of these smartphones and you scan your phone. It used to be restaurants would send you coupons, and they'd say, if you don't have a printed coupon, we can't take it. And everyone got mad and said, I have it on my phone. Is that good enough? And they finally, anyway, they took him. But Christ had to put himself where we were to live under the law. He had to redeem us. You know, if you redeem a coupon, you are being set free from paying a price that was once that price. And nowadays, I wish they took double, triple, and quadruple coupons, amen? Because that's a factor of life right now. But in the ancient world, to be redeemed was like being a slave in a slave market. In those days, there were an estimated 60 million slaves, according to historians. And you could go to any Roman Empire slave market and buy a person, as terrible as that was. And there was a constant selling of slaves and a constant buying of slaves. And to redeem them, you would go into the slave market to do so. You'd pay a price to purchase the slave, and then you'd purchase that slave by one of two things. You could do one of two things. You could keep the slave, or you could set him or her free. Most kept them, but those were the options. And friends, when he uses this word redeem in verse 5, what he is saying is that Jesus did both. Jesus kept you for himself, but he also set you free. He who has the truth has been set free. When Jesus came, he came into the slave market of sin. And we were all slaves to sin, slaves to Satan. And when he went on that cross, he paid the ultimate price, the purchase of people for his own name. He redeemed us for himself, that we would be his servants the rest of our lives. And he paid the price that we'd be free from sin and damnation and all the things that come for being humans on this earth. But isn't it a reminder to us this morning that in our redemption, we are not free to live how we want to live? 1 Corinthians 6 says, We've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God, With your body. He says in verse 5 that he might redeem those who are under the law. You notice here that it is definite and definitive. Everyone for whom Christ died, he redeemed upon that cross. There's no one who Christ died for that will go to hell. The only people that go to hell are those who reject the free offer of a God who gave them everything at the cross. If God has purchased you upon the cross, you are either redeemed or you will be redeemed if you're here today. If you hear the story about how people come to Christ, they'll often say, it's like, I just couldn't get away from it. Everywhere I went, Jesus was there. People were talking about it. I heard it on the radio. I heard it on the news. It was on my phone. It was in the, in the workroom, wherever it was. When you think about how you came to Christ, there was a moment in your time where you just could not escape it. The message of Jesus is Everywhere. And parents and grandparents, that's a great reminder that even bringing kids sometimes to church and vacation Bible school and other things. And uh, some of you remember these days when you wrangle kids in the pews just to have them sit still. It's hard. And and, and if you're here, you know that our motto is we're grateful to hear the cries and everything else. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother our scene. But it's often those kids who go to church who hear more about the gospel, that have those stone faces and they look like this and, you know, They don't look like they're learning at all that someday God opens their eyes to see and all that truth comes flooding back to them because God, when he redeemed us, puts us in a place where we will know the truth or we will reject it. But he died for everyone that he died for. But also notice here that there is also an adoption that happens. Not only that he redeems you, but that he also adopts you. Notice the end of verse five. He says that, We might receive, to redeem those, so that, redeem us, set us free, claim us as his own, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, that word adoption may seem weird here, but we've gone from being slaves of Satan to slaves of God. We've gone from the dungeon to the dining room, as it were. We've gone from imprisonment to inheritance, and now we've been adopted. What adoption says is that when you come into the family of God, you come as a babe, but you're given the status and privileges as an adult son. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Unless you be born again, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. A baby could not enter into the inheritance. You'd have to reach a certain age before your inheritance can come. And what Paul is saying is that why Jesus came, he not only redeemed you, he set you free, he made you his own. But the moment you come into heaven, every part of the inheritance, the the riches of the kingdom are now yours by faith alone because of the free gift of Jesus Christ alone. It's as if you've been living in the house all along. It's as if whatever belongs to the Father now belongs to you. Our older brother Jesus, the Lord Jesus, now belongs to you. Grace now, glory later. It's all ours And look at verses 6 and 7. We read these. And because you are sons, God has sent you a spirit of his sons crying, Abba, Father. We now have access to the Father because of the redemption and adoption. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, the heir of God. Now, Paul would often, uh, and there's a great book. If you're looking for a, a stocking stuffer for yourself, there's a great book that John MacArthur wrote years ago called Slave. Just called Slave. Dulo, Slave. It's a whole book about our identity with God being slaves to righteousness. So what is, is Paul contradicting himself? Are we no longer slaves? We're not slaves to sin, but we are slaves and servants to do what God would have us do. I just hate that so many Christians think that God's love for them stops the moment that they turn to the left or turn to the right. I hate that so many Christians walk around thinking that God is up there like some uh, judge after they come to Christ truly that looks at them with a scowl and a frown. You'll often hear Pastor Brian pray this way. You know why I love my friend Jesus? Because when I walk down the road and he sees me, he doesn't walk on the other side. He comes up and embraces me. That's why he came. Now, friend, I don't want to overplay that, and you could abuse that text like everyone who abuses Scripture can. We don't think that God's grace is free to do whatever we want to and ask for for permission later. That's a, that's a business phrase that you hear often. Just go do whatever you want to and apologize later for it. No, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is we want to live a holy life because Christ redeemed us. He set us free. He's made us his own. But we've been adopted now, and we are There's a big list that will be up on the screen for you. We are now, because of this adoption, because of this, we are redeemed. We are now redeemed by Jesus. We are adopted by the Father, and we are sealed by the Spirit. What that means is, is that if you know Jesus, why He came, that nothing you do in this life can ever separate you from His love. That when you go on your deathbed or you're in the last moments of your life, you don't need a pastor, a priest, or anybody to give you last rites because the last rites were paid, if you will. Everything was paid on that cross once and for all, but it doesn't end there. You are totally forgiven. You are fully acquitted. You are you are legally declared righteous. You are. Now, legally adopted, and you are sealed for eternity, kept for Jesus. Christian, what more could you want in your life today? There are a lot of cool presents that we give each other, and I'm grateful for each one of them. But friends, when you go to bed at night, you ought to sleep with a measure of peace in your life. Because when you come to Jesus, he's given you everything. And no matter what the world says, no matter what other Christians may say about you, no matter what a church may declare to you, if you are in cahoots with Jesus, that is what matters the most. Because he is the one who speaks for your soul on that day. You've been redeemed and now adopted. You have the rights and privileges of the Son of God. And friends, what a Christmas we have. Why did Jesus come? To redeem one person, sinners, and that is us today. Friends, we love you all so much. And I pray as long as Tower View Baptist Church exists, no matter who's in this pulpit, that is the message that we preach. High grace covers high sin because there's an even higher Savior who wholly gave himself for us. We pray with me as we close out today. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to hear the word of God. Father, I pray for many of those this morning who may be carrying guilt, Father, that needs to be repented of Yes, Father, we are in constant need of repentance in our lives. We are uh, as a sign of the grace that is carrying us, Lord, a, a constant need to ask forgiveness and to seek forgiveness, Lord, horizontally between brother and sister and also vertically between you is a constant need. But, Father, for those who have truly repented, whose, whose conscience is clean, but, but Satan would like to throw those fiery darts, as it were, at them to remind them of past guilt that you've long since forgiven, would you remind them that they are kept fully, adopted, redeemed in you? Father, for those today who, who it seems have grown cold, the embers of that faith that once burned so bright are not as bright as they used to be. Would this day that you would you would revive that flame and take the, uh, the blowers or whatever those things are called, the, the billows, and blow into them and, and, and revive that, Lord, because of who you are and what you've done? Father, it started in eternity past. It was realized in the early days of that political, cultural, and spiritual setting up providentially. It came about, Lord, because your son is fully divine and fully human. But, Lord, through the death and burial of your son and the ascension, we now live free from the condemnation of sin. Father, I pray for our church in this too, so long as we are loving each other, may we bring no condemnation upon each other except those sins that need to be called out for sure because there is now no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. Father, keep us from legalism here. Keep us from uh, antinomianism, just throwing caution to the wind with living for Christ. But would you continue to grow within this fellowship a great desire for you and each other and keeping each other accountable, including us pastors, perhaps most of all, to your glory and to your name. We thank you for Jesus. We pray all these things in his name, in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. amen.